0: Welcome to another episode of Surgeon's Lives. I'm your host, John Monson. My guest today is Joop Nall. is Dutch by background, uh, but works in Belgium, where he has indeed worked for a number of years. I've known him for many years now to be one of the great surgical innovators who views surgical anatomy in a different way to most people. He's perhaps best known for setting up the ILAP Foundation and his contributions to surgical education and teaching operative skills are really quite remarkable. He uh, spends some time in the ERCAD institutes and on a regular basis travels to Sicily to operate where he has done for a number of years. So without further ado uh, let's listen to what he has to say uh, as he talks to us um, during uh, a brief visit in Portugal. I'm John Monson, and this is Surgeons' Lives.
1: Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, perfect.
0: perfect. Um,
1: uh... I'm actually in a hotel in Portugal, so it looks more fancy than my house, actually. No, this is not the real thing, actually. <laughs> but, um, I'm visiting Bill Hield, and I'm just Parfait tomorrow. So, but this was the best time to to meet, actually.
0: No, it's fine, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, I don't Absolutely. Know if, I don't know if you've um, uh, seen any of the other um, podcasts that uh, we've done, but it's a new series called Surgeons' Lives. Um, yes. Which is obviously about the surgeon and their lives, but as much as anything else, it's about. The other stuff that matters um, uh, yes, I understand. Um, I've seen the
1: last one Sonia oh yeah thinking, yeah I've seen I that one right.
0: yeah, Part yeah. Of it.
1: No, it was very interesting I didn't I didn't know her actually so it was very interesting to, yeah. yeah to learn more about her
0: yeah there's uh, six or seven of them now we've done in a, and Yeah, cool it's interesting that um, I, I've done it really because I want to to um, let people understand in more detail that surgeons. There's more to surgeons than just the lecture they give. Yes, absolutely. And, and
1: um, that—that's that, what I liked when we were in Colombia with the last session of lectures. It was really interesting, I think.
0: Yes. So what I normally do, and I'll do it with you, is to ask you to give us a little short version of your life and career, starting with the words "I was born in." Which doesn't mean doesn't mean your age. Uh, It means where you were (laughs) born. Okay, okay, no, perfect. So you started already? now no. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, you started already? Okay, no, no. Yeah. Ah, okay. I I didn't get it yet. You know, I I maybe I have to excuse myself a little bit for my English. All the all the people you interviewed are of course a kind of native English or American. So.
0: Not no, at all. If I, say, um,
1: if I say something really stupid, you have to correct me, John. No, no, we no were, I was, I was.
0: We can always blame um, the the language. I I interviewed um, Julio Mayal just a few weeks okay. ago, and okay. he made the same comment as I said. Is no, perfect. Way better than my perfect. Spanish, that's for sure.
1: I feel comfortable when looking at you, and I feel relaxed. So it's no problem, <laughs> actually. No, <laughs> no, I was I was born in the Netherlands. I think uh, Dutch people are known for their height, so I'm a typical Dutch guy. Um, I was born in Nijmegen, and Nijmegen is a city at the eastern part of the Netherlands, close to the German border. Um, Nijmegen is a very nice city. It's famous for a a war movie, A Bridge Too Far, where the uh, people that had to uh, flee the Netherlands, were dropped at the wrong bridge. So they were a bridge too far dropped actually. So it's famous for that movie. It's a pretty big city. It's a city, it's the oldest city actually in the Netherlands. And I was born actually um, in a very good family with my my father and, and, and mother. I had one sister, I still have one sister. My father was more kind of a businessman but he was always involved in medical equipment, medical devices, medical companies mainly uh, concerned or, or involving heart surgery or cardiology. So like pacemakers for Phytatron, uh, pacemakers for, for, for heart rhythm. Um, and my mother was actually very artistic. My mother was an artist. She gave some lessons and, um, and my sister was very artistic too. So my sister at the end became an architect and she moved to uh, South Africa. Which oh. she lives in South Africa, and uh, but they are really the artistic part of the family. So when my mother had to teach some people, the things I could make were like for a like average grade, and the things that my sister made was like an example for the for the higher grade. So <laughs> I'm kind of like the the guy with with, with two right or two left hands, whatever you want to call it, you know. <laughs> but the, the, a little bit of an artistic part is is still in me, I think. Um, I had a I had a beautiful happy youth. I did a lot of sports, which you might not tell now anymore. But uh, and the strange thing, although I started to tell you that I, I'm a typical Dutch guy, mm-hmm. is that I was very small. I was a very tiny guy. So when we had athletics or gymnastics in school, we had to go from the the highest, the tallest guys, to the to the tiny little guys. I was like. I had just one guy on my right side, actually. So I was a very tiny little guy, and I played a lot of soccer. And I was pretty talented. That's what they said. But I was too small as a goalkeeper. I was a goalkeeper. goalkeeper yeah. yeah, yeah, I was a goalkeeper. So I have I have beautiful pictures. I will I will send to you for that. But they were thinking about giving me giving me growing hormones because I was too tiny to become a very good goalkeeper. So I'm very lucky that my my parents were very reasonable and had a, a, a very brilliant mind not to give me growing hormones because then I wouldn't fit into a, a OR anymore, I think. So I played a lot of soccer. I did a lot of uh, sports.
0: And um, you had um, you were the kid that had the poster of Johan Cruyff on your bedroom wall? Yes,
1: yes, yes. I'm a, I'm a really big fan of Johan Cruyff. I'm a really big Ajax fan. And that's for several reasons Ajax is at the other part of the Netherlands in the western part in the city yeah. of Amsterdam in the, in the capital city but I mean the jerseys are beautiful like like white and red uh, stripes I mean they have the the gods you know uh, Ajax as an emblem you know on the on the chest so mm-hmm. it's, it's it's amazing and and Johan was to my opinion but of course after this no many no not too many people will watch your podcast anymore probably but I, I think he was the best soccer player ever It's very really difficult to say you know but he was very very smart he was really a guy who learned to play soccer on the streets um, he was not very educated but he did a lot of things afterwards you know he he um, he helped uh, people with a handicap to get into sports he has around the world a lot of uh, Cruyff courts, we call it. I think there are like 200 or more than 200 Cruyff courts around the world um, for children to go out and leave their computer inside and, and yeah. play outside, yeah. play soccer, play anything else. So he was kind of much more than a, a soccer player, although he was very good in, in he, soccer, was, uh, um, so. he was
0: credited with um, you know, developing the so-called total football.
1: Yes, yes. He was, he was like, uh, together with, uh, with Linus Michels, actually, he was the guy who, who, who started with to defend after an attack right away and have wingbacks. Yeah. And, 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 of course, that's why I love Ajax, actually, because I think when you are a professional soccer player and you get a lot of money, you have to play attractive football, you know? Yeah. Just to say you have the best defense in the world, I mean that's that's not enough for me, you know. I want to have fun when I go
0: to. There gym. you were a kid who was good at football, but maybe not quite good enough. Um, and uh, you you ended I, up doing medicine. But so did the medicine just come from your dad's interest, or what was your mentor, your, or your inspiration for that?
1: I, yeah, I, I definitely think my my father played a role in in choosing medicine. And that's also why I think I wanted to become a heart surgeon. I never wanted to become a doctor. I also, I only wanted to become a surgeon, actually. I just, you know, I thought it was a lot of wasting time to do, like, medical school. And I couldn't really understand why not to start with surgery right away. But now I get it, of course, after all those years. But I, I was very much interested in, in the cardiac surgery. And I did, in my residency, a lot of cardiac surgery as well. But... Then I met some people who really, really inspired me. And I switched completely from cardiac surgery into first kind of abdominal general surgery and then into colorectal surgery. Yeah, I think definitely that my, my father played uh, an important role
0: in that. You, you you went to medical school. I mean, you did all of your surgical training in uh, in the low countries, of Holland and Belgium, or uh, all in Belgium? Well,
1: actually, my medical school was completely in
0: Belgium. I
1: um, there was a kind of a lottery or, or limited uh, amount of places in the Netherlands, so I had to choose either to do something different than medical school for a year or for two years, yeah. and then try again, or move to Belgium. So I I applied for the University of Leuven, um, which was something I had to adapt to because you know a, a Dutch guy going to Belgium. It's a big difference between Dutch people and Belgian people. The, the Belgian people think that the Dutch people are are more loud, have bad eat habits, uh, are too tall, and so I, I think you know. So well,
0: that's, that's going to so come think, from the uh, the mayonnaise on the French fries is not good. It's not a good look. The,
1: ma- the mayonnaise on the yes, the mayonnaise on the French fries. We have like we have bitter balls. I I don't, don't know if you have ever eaten bitter balls. It's like a small little bowl with a, with, a, with a crust around it, some meat inside. And, yeah. you know, real Dutch people, they really love it, you know. If you go visit the hospital in the Netherlands for lunch, you mm-hmm. get bitter bowls and karnamellig. Karnamellig is kind of a sour milk, which I, I really don't like, but they all eat it. And, and probably that's why they are so tall, together with um, cheese and milk, of course, you know, all the proteins. So so, I had to adapt a little
0: bit. Professor, did you ever go back to Holland, or did you you moved to Belgium for medical school? and have you been there ever since, basically?
1: well, at at the end, when i um when I finished my uh, my medical school and and when I was already a resident, um Professor Pennings, who was the head of uh, uh, abdominal surgery at that time, Freddie Pennings was a brilliant guy, very, very nice guy. He sent me to Amsterdam to go to the Dutch Cancer Institute. To learn how to do debilking surgery. And he said, you know, we have to start up high pack in debilking surgery and go there for like three months and come back. So that's the only period I went back to the mm. Netherlands. Of course, I also did also did my thesis defense uh, around four years ago in Amsterdam. So there yes. was like a joint thesis between Belgium and Amsterdam. So that's that's the only thing I did mm. besides observe or appropriate. Yes, yes,
0: absolutely. So do the do the Belgians consider you belgian or or dutch
1: i'm i think i'm like the ugly duck you know i i i you know i don't belong to either of them because <laughs> everybody hears that i'm not so the, the belgians say you're too dutch and and dutch people say you know you're, you're a very soft accent so uh, <laughs> and, and and so even my my wife is belgian and uh, so she's a chief of the house so my children speak more belgian uh, dialect than than me, but but of course the the language is the same. It's just like kind of a dialect, you know. You can yeah, yeah, you yeah. can hear the
0: difference, yes, yeah, for sure. Um, and so, you... but uh, but Leuven
1: is beautiful. I I think yeah. you've been in Leuven. Leuven is a beautiful, beautiful city. So I had a fantastic student time. Uh, a, a beautiful, safe city to to do my school actually
0: And you 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 became a colorectal surgeon um, and yes in, in colorectal yes. surgery or indeed in any other form of surgery apart from freddie penix um, did you yes. have mentors who influenced what you were doing
1: well i was i was very lucky when i was a young resident because i was in another part of, of belgium in the city of kortrijk and there was one older surgeon who, who was already almost retiring he was called uh, Paul Hinckes, and Paul Hinckes had did a fellowship of two years in Mayo Clinic in Rochester. And his younger surgeon, who was called Frankie van I uh, was taken to Mayo Clinic just to observe a uh, brilliant surgeon to do surgery. I was very lucky, so I was there as a young resident for for like uh, six months, and they said to me, you know, mm. we have something, some kind of an offer, and so we just. Asked you to come and come to Mayo Clinic for a week. We go to Minneapolis afterwards to have the course from, uh, uh, yeah, who, who was there? You know, um, and, and Goldberg and. Uh, Goldberg, uh, yep. Radoff, right. you know, yeah. all the all, all, all very brilliant people who I met there. Mm. And so uh, I was very lucky and they took me along and they even paid for my trip. And after that, after my first trip, I, I kind of decided that. I I wanted to go back and see Santa Nivat Fonks and, uh, and Roger Dojwar, Eric Dojwar, Hardinessen. So that were pretty big names, pretty ne- ne- big names for me. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. those two teachers at the from the other side of the country really inspired me. And back in love of course, Freddie Pennings and Andre Dora, I, I owe much to him because he's a very, very brilliant surgeon. <laughs> um and we, we, we got along very well. And I, I learned a lot from him as well. So I think those are really the people that changed me together with observing other people in other countries
0: uh, afterwards doing colorectal surgery, yes. You moved to your um, current job not that many years ago.
1: No, I, I stayed in the university hospital for, for around three years as a junior staff member um we had a very busy time so i was not really allowed to go abroad to a kind of fellowship because we had a lot of work and then i worked um i worked in another big hospital in the city of Haselt for the last 10 years and now i moved to the city of Genk, who was pretty close so i could stay in my own house but it's the other direction for for like 20 minutes so um i stayed in belgium and um I think we have a very good hospital that we really wants to improve and to really specialize and have really like a, a good department of colorectal surgery which which I'm the chief of a uh, small department after so just,
0: so just for people um around the world um, to get an understanding um, tell us about the you know the the high level concept of um Economics and salaries and who earns what and how do you make your money in Belgium? Is it private practice? Is it state? Does the big boss get all the money? Does the junior get none? How does it work? You know, as you progress through your uh,
1: it's, I I I think it's a big difference between really full time university, or outside of the university. If you are working in the university, it's like a fixed salary. For all staff members, maybe if you're a little bit older, you get a little bit more, or if you're chief of an department, you get a little bit more, or when you are in uh, the committees, you get a little bit more, but, you know, it's kind of fixed. The system in Belgium is, is if you work outside of the university, you get paid per procedure. So every procedure has a number, Mm -hmm. a rectum is more than a colon, and so... Yeah. It depends on how much you work actually. You know, if you have a, a very yeah. nice practice, you you work pretty hard, but you have a very good salary and, and um I, I think that's very good. We we don't have a system like in England with with like in NHS and then a private practice. We have every patient has, has a very decent insurance in Belgium, but you can add your insurance to have a private room or you know have some facilities, but yeah. It's not only for the rich people. Every everybody has like a very nice, a very, a good uh, insurance, and everybody can have decent uh, health care. But you can really work like like uh, including the weekend. You earn a lot of money, but of course you have to kind of balance that between earning a lot of money and have a decent life. So oh sure, uh, yeah. but so that's, that's how it works in Belgium.
0: So surgeons in Belgium do okay financially.
1: Yeah, I think they do. They they do they do pretty well I think yes I think uh, and everybody has like a good salary and some people have like a, a bit more I think yes Okay, yeah of course it, it depends on the surgery if you if you kind don't know if you are like a bariatric surgeon and you like a like a gastric bypass it's the same kind of money as a as a colon so but if you have to if you mobilize this clinic flexure to have no tension or no traction and you have your your neighbor doing a gastric wipers in 45 minutes you know it's (laughs) it's it's passion not it's passion not the money the money is not most important of course so what
0: so on that very point of passion um so you know what became your passion and you know you're known around the world for you know ilap and um and technology and very cool videos of TME and colorizing aspects, but um, you know that's uh, like most overnight sensations. You know they'd been working at it for a decade. You know before they became an overnight right. sensation. So uh, you know, how uh, what what is your passion in surgery? I I
1: I think I have many passions. You know, I first of co- of all. I, I want to do well for my patients. That's, that's the the first priority. So that's why I want to be updated and talk to other people that are very experienced and by traveling and by meeting people and seeing other people's presentations or observing like I do tomorrow with Amjad uh, in Portugal, I think you have to be updated and you cannot stay in your own hospital and not go, go abroad or to, to conferences. So that's one. I think I, because I was inspired by the people from Mayo Clinic and my former um, surgeons, I, I want to be a good teacher, I, and I think that's a very difficult job. I, can, I think you can be a very good surgeon, but a very lousy teacher. So I, yeah. I try to be a good teacher, um, and then I try to to educate um, with eye lab surgery, with 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 presentations, with. Like crazy stuff, you know. I try to be a little bit of artistic with my three D animations, with my illustrations, and I I, mm. I met a lot of passionate people. I, I met a a girl who's called Stephanie Filiparts, and she is like, she's so nice to me. And because of me, she has a lot of work. And if I have one drawing, she has to make. She really says, you know, just send it to me. I I do it overnight or whatever, you know. Even if you ever I'm traveling to the states or somewhere. Before I leave the airport, I say, Stephanie, can you change something to it? And then I arrive, and she she of course uh, changed the the illustration a little. So I I try to be a good surgeon. I try to educate. I try to be innovative, actually, and I try to travel because traveling is enriching to me, not only for work but also for for my family. I I, I try to. Um, I have three children I didn't tell you before I have three children I have two boys or grown-ups adults uh, almost and a girl of of 17 and I try to teach them two things or actually three things you know really to do something that's really your passion try to find your passion don't be scared of anybody you know and don't be scared of situations if you can um and, and try to make the best of it and try to travel as much as you can because I think buying something very um expensive is very cool for for, for some time but to travel and meet people and see new stuff I, I think that really en- enriches you so I try to give that to my children actually yeah.
0: Mm. And so you were you've been at the forefront of for example <clears throat> just to focus a little on the colorectal side of things you've been at the forefront of mm-hmm. Tp, which you know right right came from nothing and rose all the way up and has now has now kind of faded away not to the bottom but certainly you know not um uh, not as not as a hot topic as it was um do you have a? Do you want to predict Absolutely. for me um, where it's going to be in ten years from now? Will we stop talking about it, or uh, will we still be doing it? Do you think? Uh, that's that's a good question. Yeah, course,
1: you know, I, yeah, of course. You know, I, I, you know, the discussion seems to be, and I have a very beautiful slide of two. How do you say it? doors like fighting a bull. You know, and. And says I, I sent you that beautiful slide and so oh, that's love. Like, you you kind of either a Tatmeo feel or or a roboto feel, you know. Mm. And I love robotics and I, I got into robotics pretty late, kind of after TATME TATME. But I still think that many surgeons are still touching the tumor side, are still struggling with their stapler and compensate and staple it vertically. I think the stapler, whatever stapler you use, is like 1.2 centimeters wide. So you need some uh, distance from the tumor to have a safe margin. I think after, because we are like in the TNT era, era, you know, uh, people get a lot of uh, chemo radiation or chemo radiation or whatever you want to call it. Sometimes we have very small scars and you want to see the distal margin so i i think it it should have kind of be centralized um, i live in a small uh, country of belgium maybe only like like two or three centers in the whole country of of belgium should do for very extreme low lesions when you only have some scar do to tatme or tatme and the rest if you can afford it or when you hospital can afford it will be i think robotics in the future you know but yeah. I, I gave a, a online uh, webinar yesterday for, for for surgeons for Egypt, and none of them had a robot. So I yeah. think you know we we are kind of spoiled with all beautiful robots. And so I I think for extreme lesions in the Western countries, and in some other countries where you don't can afford a robot, I I think it will stay around but very selectively. I think to answer your question, actually. But the big thing is because I have that slide with that, you know, the, the big fight is is not, you know, who's, who's the best or who's the biggest. Or, you know, we look at shortcomings instead of, you know, plus or advantages of both techniques. So I feel privileged that I can do both, actually. I can change my technique, uh, you
0: know. Yeah. And, you know, of course, when laparoscopy started, everybody was – Said you know the problem if you know in developing countries they can't afford the laparoscope, um, right? Yeah, you know it, it's it's always been the case that developing countries can't afford modern technology because whatever that modern technology is, ranging from antibiotics to robots, um, you know it's always been the case that the developing country is behind you know what the latest and greatest is, and um, you absolutely. Know, what we do um, at the cutting edge, you know, changes the lives of, you know, handfuls of patients compared to, yes. you know, what, um, you know, people like Bill Gates are trying to do with, you know, anti malaria et cetera, et cetera, you know, right. so it's, right. it really makes a very small difference, but it doesn't matter. You still got to, somebody has to do the um, cutting edge stuff. So so one well, happens- also
1: when you also john, you know i think when you when you do robotic rectal cancer surgery, you also have to go to a learning curve to be as good as some very sure uh, very big experts you see videos of you know uh, if yeah. you do if you do fifteen rectums a year, you know, what's the benefit of the robot? i mean I don't know it's a big it's a difficult discussion well,
0: and, you it. know the number of rectal cancer operations is dropping in the united states dramatically with um watching absolutely it. yeah i mean it's it's really absolutely and you know there is a view so, that this rectal cancer colorectal cancer is a medical disease um and I, I would imagine that um i would imagine there's some truth to that you know we're seeing now patients with um checkpoint inhibitors having their rectal cancer cured right they, um, right, so yes. interesting um uh as to you know the young surgeons starting today will they be operating on rectal cancer 25 years from now i suspect not um i think they'll mm-hmm. still be operating mm-hmm. on crohn's disease but um right um, but i suspect not in rectal cancer only time only time will tell um so it's going
1: it's going very fast right i
0: mean the evolution is very fast now it's really suddenly suddenly. interesting
1: interesting but interesting and challenging but threatening a little bit as well as a surgeon of course so oh for sure
0: yeah i mean you know a hundred years to learn how to do a tme and then in the last 10 years the world has changed dramatically absolutely 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 yes so um you know, when you switch the lights out and go home, um, uh, you you have your three kids and your family, etc. Um, yes. Uh, you know, w- one of my early interviews was um, um, with uh, Jeff Matthews in Chicago, who's just released his latest EP of uh, uh, rock music. Um, I, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I um, I interviewed Eric Pauley, who is. Uh, um a uh, an interventional gastroenterologist he's he's a huge cheese fanatic um um etc so um is there something that um you does when he leaves work
1: oh yeah you know i, I try to spend as much time as i can with my family and i uh, you know that's that takes a lot of time um uh, but my children are 21 19 and 17 now so i get more and more done um over the years i think i'm i am pretty lucky that i'm also operating in italy four days a month yeah um with a very with a very good friend uh, professor sergio castorina and that's a different world you know that's a different world i fly on a thursday and then we eat spaghetti or we eat a pasta at the seaside (laughs) and then the first time was very funny so the first time i came there i said to sergio i said Sergio said to me, you know, what, what time do you want to start tomorrow operating? I said, Sergio, maybe, maybe like eight o'clock. He said, you know, it's, it's impossible, you know, eight o'clock is impossible. I said, Sergio, you know, what about nine o'clock? He said, no, it's not possible, it's difficult. So let's start at 10, he said. So he decided already. So we always drive in at 10 and we, we drink an espresso and then we operate pretty late to like eight o'clock with a, with a very nice pasta lunch. Um, and I'm I'm kind of uh, looking for a smaller house there now because we agreed on the fact that I will come there for many many years to come. Like there's a French professor that comes there now for 23 years, who operated with his father. It's like a family hospital. And although we have only six ORs and it's it's amazing. And 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 the nurses they only speak Italian, so I try to in my free time I try to to, to speak Italian and become a little bit better on that. But Piano, piano, you know, just slowly. Um, I I like I like uh, nice cars like you, but I never was that good. So I like to drive my car, um, and I try to 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 do a little bit padel, you know, you know the padel sport, and very little bit, and I try to play some golf, but you know I'm. I'm, you know, it takes a lot of time. So I try, I try to to do yes. some holes, and then I I go home tired. And <laughs> I, you know, I, I, you know, and I I love to listen to music. But I played some guitar, but I stopped for a while. So maybe if my children go or studying, I I try to play my guitar, Spanish guitar actually, the acoustic Spanish guitar, yes. not electric. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, it's like like training my fingers, you know, uh, a little bit. And I like to travel, you know, wherever.
0: Sure. Well, I'm I'm fairly sure that in Sicily they would benefit from having um an older Irish surgeon come you know, sometimes. Um, it's just yeah, you know, I,
1: well you should definitely come. You should definitely come. <laughs> but it's it's very funny, you know. We I, I was operating there and a and there was, was a very good surgeon who operated a young guy. Uh, many many years ago, and he had like a subtotal colectomy, iliorectal anastomosis, and he developed a rectal cancer in his rectal stump. And in another hospital, they did an, an, an open exploration and they stopped. They said, you know, it's impossible. And then they, said, you know, maybe because they don't have like specialized colorectal surgeons in, in Sicily, like a yeah. few do a lot of colorectal surgery, but not really specialized. So they said, you know. Maybe, maybe it's worth it to open up the guy again, because the guy was only 51 years old. And so we opened him and the other surgeon came to visit and he was watching the surgery. And there was like a big mass of small bowel we, we had to go through before we even got to the rectum. So I told the professor, my friend Sergio, I said, you know, the next 50 minutes is gonna bleed because I have to take out some small bowel. And so it will bleed a bit. And so the other guy was the visiting guy, but didn't speak any Italian. He was watching it, and it, indeed it started to bleed. And the guy said, "You know, Sergio, el vena cava, el vena cava." He said, "He kind of panicked because he thought it was in the vena cava." So because I predicted it, my professor said, "No, no, no, just you know, relax, you know, relax, piano, piano." And we got it out, and the guy was really friendly, very nice. And we did that like four or five weeks ago. And my last visit last week, I got a big fish. I got a fish like this from the guy. He gave a present, it was like a big fish. And we had a restaurant making it for us with all the residents there. So we had like a, a big celebration because the person was like a big fish. Um, yeah. uh, they, they caught the, the same day. So so it's a different world, but it's, it's it, you know it brings me very to a humble world and without any robotics and people become kind of your family, you know, if there's like a family, event. Sure. The, the professor of surgery said you have four children and you know, we're kind of, of with the family. So we always go out. We never eat at home. We always go and this uh, is, in, uh, this
0: really is in, Palermo. in Palermo.
1: This is in the Catania city of Catania. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a private practice. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, um, it's a it's a very different world, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I go there back in summer, and if I go summer, the professor has so many friends, maybe patients, I don't know, maybe other people, they drive me around and give me a boat and they give me you know whatever I want for for kind of a week. So beautiful Treating life, you. just four days a month.
0: Visiting royalty, visiting royalty. So um, uh, yes. So how old do you know you? I'm 52 now, 52 years old. Yeah. So, um, uh, in Europe, um, you know, the French are rioting because you know retirement age was being increased. Um, Big
1: fight, right? <laughs> yeah. I
0: always like to uh, explain to my um, my American colleagues that the French are specialists at striking. They're very good at it. They know know, lots of people go on strike around the world, but they don't really do it in a way that causes any trouble. But the French are experts. I mean, if they go on strike, you're basically paralyzed for a long while. They know
1: how to make a fire. They know how to make fire, right?
0: Exactly. So, um, so what are you going to do when you're 62 or 70, or will you be Still going to Sicily to operate on on strangers, or are you gonna? Um, I you, one of the uh, one of the podcasts you might want to watch is Fabio Patenti and Christian, his wife.
1: Yes. Yeah, I follow him on Twitter. He's sailing world, right?
0: Yeah. Well, he's one of the. He sold his house and bought a catamaran, right? And that's where yes. they live. Yes. they are sailing. Then he's one of the YouTube podcasts you can talk to. It's you know that's. Right. That's a real passion there, you know so what so what do you what what are your what's your thinking about um retirement not just from you but from other people do you think people should retire at sixty or sixty five or should they work until they're eighty
1: you know i i i I think you know when you become like after fifty you that's what I noticed I start thinking about it more, you know. Because you see your parents, and my parents are like 20 years older than me, and you know they they are still fit. I, I'm very happy that my parents are very healthy. They travel the world. They play golf. But by watching them and seeing that they don't move that fast anymore, I think if you're after 50, you you earn some money, you you have a decent life, but in 20 years you will but will not be that fit. So I I think. You know, maybe like after 60, I will try to see where I am and, and, and see, you know, officially we have to work till 67 in Belgium, but I don't think I will make it till 67. I think like, like 62, 63, 64, I like to travel. Maybe I'm invited in some places. I will definitely do that. And maybe I will end up in, in Sicily, you know, um, operating some people, but, you know, I, I, I want to enjoy my life after sixty. I don't know where after sixty. You know, sixty-four, sixty-five. I don't know. I respect. I will see Bill Hill tomorrow. If I'm as fit as him at his age, maybe I'm still, you know, traveling. I I really don't know. I don't know, John. But
0: um, yeah, it's I a, want to
1: enjoy life, and
0: it's different for everyone. I Take I- a you. You know?
1: In Belgium, it's a it's a bit struggle. It's a big struggle because you, you you can have a lot of patients, you can operate a lot of patients, you can earn quite some money, and you have to you have to work hard. I I do I do like sometimes I do clinic on a Saturday, and I see like fifty patients on a Saturday morning. You know, that's that's crazy. I think right. So it is crazy. I don't do it a lot. Yeah. I don't do it a lot, but sometimes I see also like checkups and everything. You know and I don't do it a lot, but, you know, that's that's becoming less and less. That's just like the over overflow of patience. You
0: know? Well, and it's, you know, it's all of those questions, you know, how much money exactly do you need? What is, how much that's is it. enough? You know, it's, it's never enough, number one. Number two, you know, even though you think you have enough, um, you know, when somebody offers you more, um, it's always, yes. you know, if you were, you know, if you were working for, you know, 15 euros an hour packing fish in a factory, you, you would not right. be yes. <laughs> not be doing this what you do now. You know, let's be realistic. Right. right. You earn a lot more money yes. than yes. so, so there is a reason, and and of course, there's a truism about people is that you know, whatever they earn, most people spend what they earn. Um, so that you right. know, they, right. their lifestyle fits their income to a degree you know it's the exceptional person who is you know saving you know every penny and still driving their 32 year old volvo 144 you know or whatever it might be (laughs) you know (laughs)
1: i think that's correct no i think that's correct yes now we should we should enjoy and 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 i i I try to spend as much time and more nowadays with my children than when they were young i was Yeah, way too much, like most of the surgeons probably. But <laughs> I have mean, 50 start thinking about it, I think. Yeah, I,
0: you know, I often say to people, uh, which was said to me by a, um, uh, a colleague many years ago surgeons are better grandparents than they are parents, you know. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I, I think I have to agree, probably. Yes. So
1: I don't want to be a grandfather yet, you know. I don't want to call it like, like grandfather you yet, you know. Because uh, mm. then I have to sleep next to the grandmother, you know. That's you know.
0: <laughs> exactly. Let's wait.
1: A, let's wait a little bit with that, you know.
0: So tell me, um, you know, whenever you're, whenever you hang up your your scalpel or your whatever it is, um, how would you, how would you like to be remembered, and and how do you think you will be remembered?
1: Oh, I, I don't know. I think you have a difficult question. You know, I, I want to be a teacher and I want to make, you know, I some people made a difference in my life as surgeons. So I hope some people would say, you know, he really changed my way of looking at anatomy and biology surgery. And then the rest, I hope to be a good husband and a good father, actually, you know. And then I, I, I don't believe that I have many, many friends. I know a lot of people. But I have a few very good friends, and I think like you know, spend time with them, them, and uh, you know, enjoy some good times together. But you know, um, I hope to be remembered by my, my children mainly, uh, and some of my uh, my residents and fellows I trained actually, yes, and some good college. You know, we had great times, and we I love to discuss with you, and uh, but we love we love the time after the meeting as much as we love the meeting because that's exactly. very precious time to all of us, yes.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, it is interesting, you know, how medicine and surgery and everything changes, you know, I, I'm of an age where when I started training people, we were doing gastrectomies and vagotomies and highly selective vagotomies for a disease that just in my career time doesn't exist anymore. The entire, right. not, not yeah. only does the operation not exist, the disease doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> and um you know, so it uh, changes. Even, you, know? you know,
1: even for obesity, which is like a big thing, you know, in Europe, especially, or I think also in the US, but it's going down. It's going slowly. It's going down. Surgery for obesity, you know, because medication probably is coming becoming better. Or I don't know. Because I was I was driving here from the airport to my hotel, and I saw you could have like can why do you call that like take Fried Chicken. Two meals for 10 euros.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So why would you go to a decent restaurant if you can buy something for two people for 10 bucks, right?
0: No, for and sure. So this is something you know.
1: probably... I think times might be changing a little bit, you know? People are yeah. more...
0: I agree. Into it's
1: nature a nature and healthy food. And, um, it's so. a big
0: issue in the United States, for sure. It is much more expensive to eat healthily than it is to eat... Right, it is, that is... Right, but you're, maybe
1: maybe those diseases like obesity will yeah. go down slowly, a little bit as well. I don't know. So yeah. we, who knows what future? So, things, um, you know?
0: I I know you're not at the end of your career, and you're you're probably um, you, you you. I think you said that you're maybe just just going over the. No, peak.
1: no, no. I said I'm on a plateau, John. You, okay. You're wrong
0: about
1: okay.
0: that. So. Um, <laughs> I don't know
1: how long my plateau will last, you know, I, I don't know. So here
0: you are, you know, you've reached this stellar height. Um, any regrets yes, in your career to date? Anything that you think you should um, have done differently?
1: No, I don't think so, you know. I always choose for a passion and my career, actually, uh, for a professional uh, thing, you know. Um, I, I, I left the university hospital because I I thought it was very hierarchic, if I say it right in English. So it was like, you know, it was very difficult to treat your own patients and yeah. be responsible from the first till the last day, you know. Because so I I like I like to be uh, connected to or affiliated with university, but yeah. I like to have my own patients. I don't regret that. I of course as a result you I think you have to work harder to to make your own name because there's no like no, yeah. no like a big group behind you, you know.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't regret that. I like to be innovative, so that's why I started iLab and I like to be really teaching in a different way. I think textbooks will disappear. Yeah. You know, fellows reading something instead of watching something. Like a podcast is will will kind of disappear. Very rare. The only thing I might regret is that I, I, I was not not home uh, all the time. Maybe my balance was not always in the right right way. Uh, but I think
0: you, know, you would not I be, can learn from that. Maybe I think you would be not alone in that. Um, in that. Um, no, no. So in you, you mentioned that you know the. The university structure is quite hierarchical, um, you know, with the, the the big chief being the big chief, etc. And and that's certainly right. been my experience in in many European countries, Germany, but you know certainly, um, absolutely and, Germany. So, and it used to be very strongly the situation in the United States, um, where the chairman of surgery was, a, you know, all powerful. Um, firstly, the chairman of right. surgery. Firstly, the, the chairman of surgery was all powerful, and secondly, the chairman was a chairman, not a woman. Um, oh, okay, yeah. Um, so, hierarchy in many European countries in that way has remained quite strong um, still. So, where is where is diversity and uh, inclusion, and um, how is that? Um, how is that being incorporated, or is it being incorporated in terms of you know gender diversity, etc. In what has been a very traditional hierarchical model in Europe?
1: Yeah, of course. I I come from Netherlands, so in Netherlands is a very open society. Mm-hmm. You you call your professor with the first name, which in Belgium is really impossible. Yeah. Um, so in the Netherlands, it's it's a very open society. Sometimes maybe a little bit kind of too open, you know. Like um, you don't have to become friends with your professor. You know, you can be you know you can be respectful yeah. and have the same talk. Um, I think uh, in Belgium it's a little bit more like hierarchic, if I say that right. Um, but you know, times are changing. I think it's changing. I think there are definitely more um female students and male students now in medical school i think uh, the candidates we see for for fellowship we saw a few candidates for fellowship for colorectal surgery in my hospital and all of them were female Mm. so i think that's times are really changing i think probably women are better organized actually than, than men i just speak for myself and for my wife actually she's definitely better organized than myself and most um, female surgeons are, are, are better when they start actually you know Ma- men seem to be more clumsy but, but in the old days more more persistent but I think that changed a lot and so and I think we are more thinking about the balance so I, I respect my female uh, colleagues very much and I think um, you know it's, it's a very good thing to, to have a big diversity. On the other hand, in Italy, it's definitely not very much you know the professor and the and the other people, and you have to wait till the right moment mm-hmm. to to learn all all the little steps of surgery. And yeah. then, of course, um, it's a it's a very familiar society. You have to know people in where I work, maybe not in like the big cities like Rome and Milan and you know, but. In a, a pretty small island, although they have around 5 million people, yeah. it's still, you know, you you know the people. But times are changing. I I, I think it's a good thing, actually. So, um, I am, very good thing.
0: Many years ago, more than 20 years ago. Uh, no, it was about 20 years ago. I had an Italian trainee in when I was in England. And okay. um, I was walking along with him one day, and I was asking him, you know, what life was like in his hospital. I- in uh actually he was in sicily um but he was in palermo um, oh cool and he said to me um uh, you know i said what do you do all day each day and he said to me thursday is my best day and i said okay i said why, wh- why is thursday when you operate um and he goes no 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 thursday is my best day because that's the day i drive the professor uh. Uh, yes. Wait, what? And he said, "I drive the professor and can talk to him because right, right. he will make me succeed." Ah, yes. Well, but mm-hmm. well, that's a bit, you know. In, in Italy, it's a
1: bit that way. I come in and they say, "Hi, prof, how are you?" and and they they try to come to Belgium and and spend like three months or six months, and they're they're very welcome. But sometimes you operate and you look behind you, you see like like six residents behind you just. Yeah. Or it sometimes pretty simple operation, you know. And they, and,
0: do, they don't really do
1: much operating. You know? No, they don't operate. They have to wait a long time. Now, exactly. in, in Belgium, it's also, it's a big difference from the Netherlands, also for nurses, you know. In Belgium, the nurse will never um, I, I call you by your first name. While in the Netherlands, it's it's all the same. It's your first name for everybody, you know yeah and and I, I think that's a very good thing because you are like a team a team player you know and it's a very good thing but in belgium although you say you know please call me Joop, you know and and call me by my first name they say you know it's it's impossible you know it's not how we are trained so yeah
0: yes. no, it's um it is uh, at, at the same time a small world and yet a world full of many differences yes yes yeah, for sure
1: that's that's the interesting thing i think to 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 travel a little bit and operate in different countries yes and 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 see what happens uh, you know i'm i'm invited now to all go and operate in bratislava which is the main capital of slovakia and i will go there for like four times a year that's what they ask and they have a a beautiful new uh, hospital there and i i'm really looking forward to see how it works in 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 another country you know because I think that's very interesting to see actually
0: well um, tomorrow you're going to um, sit at the um, at the feet of the master um, of Bill Heald etc and so and please he he is actually going to join this podcast sometime in the next couple of weeks we've tried to do it a few times but of course he's so busy Um, yeah struggling to fit me in and um, so please remind him when you see him tomorrow that he that I he was um, I will
1: tell that to him yes I and in see. the meantime
0: thank you so much for um, taking time out of your evening I'm sorry to have you so late um, no
1: no I'm I'm very honored John to to be invited and it's very nice to talk about something different than just the scalpel and and and, and everything and suture so I think. And very difficult cases, you know. Who is the best in a multidisciplinary meeting? I think, I think this is this is very interesting. I so hope you can enjoy it. And
0: this. I will let you know um, when we're going to go live with it. Okay. Thank you very much, John. Thank you very much.